you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Good evening, Kaleo. Good to see you all. My name is Chris, in fact. Uh, it's good to be with you as we gather on the first Sunday of the season of Lent. Uh, I think we're off to a good start uh, this evening. Thanks, band, for sharing your gifts and your heart with us. I'm glad we get to be together as we join Jesus in the wilderness. That's what the season of Lent is all about, right? Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness uh, after he was baptized. Spirit launched him into the wilderness, and that's where he was. And so we join Jesus in the season of Lent, which I think is a really meaningful invitation. It means we get to, to spend the next 40 days learning to be with Jesus. We get to fast from whatever it is that might be holding us back from practicing his ways and following him. Uh, in fact, I would even say it's one of the reasons that I actually look forward to the season of Lent and the invitation to re-up the spiritual practice of fasting. So, in an attempt to divert us away from the tendency towards personal piety that can sometimes follow us in the season of Lent, like we just like beat ourselves up or we are just like no chocolate in it, you know, I'm going to say like what if, what if we commit to relinquishing the false parts of ourselves that have taken root in our lives over the last year? Like, what if, what if we fasted from heaping shame upon ourselves when our attempts at spiritual disciplines fall short? What if we fasted from participating in patriarchal and racist organizing and instead made space for those on the margins to flourish? What if we fasted from grasping for more certainty and instead embraced a renewed and curious theological imagination? What if we fasted from isolating ourselves on the sidelines and took one small step toward growing and loving hospitality? What if that's what this season of Lent looked like for us? As we create space to align our hearts and our lives with Jesus during this season, I, I want to just pray and invite the Spirit to teach us to remind us who we are as God's dearly loved children and that we might embrace the truest parts of ourselves as we join Jesus in the wilderness. Because as we know, the seasons of the wilderness will meet us. There's no long way around the wilderness. There's only through. And so wherever we are in that season right now, would we enter it the same way Jesus did, reminded that we are God's dearly loved children who bring him joy? Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are here with you. We have already encountered your presence as we pray and as we sing and as we rend our hearts forth for you as we tell the truth of what we carry with us into this place today. And God, perhaps we're surprised, but we shouldn't be that you've met us here. And so we invite you to continue to reveal yourself to us. Be gentle and tender 
as you teach us the ways of the wilderness. Draw us into intimacy with you as we follow you. And help us to know that we are loved. God, I pray for myself that I'd speak words that are only for you and from you this evening. That our time together would help us come to know you more, to love you more, and to walk with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm too short. So before we wade into our, our passage for this evening and, and wrestle out what we're going to wrestle out, which is the, the theological implications of Genesis 1 and 2 and the role those passages play in helping us discern how men and women are to lead together, and there's like all of this fun stuff to tackle there, I want to try to articulate something that I guess I sense in the, in the air of Kaleo. How, that can be more ethereal. I don't know how to make it more ethereal than that. There's, there's something like stirring in my heart that I sense in the community of Kaleo. And, and I want to try to name that for us. Um, honestly, Breton has set the stage for telling the truth of, of who we are and what we carry with us. Thank you for that, Breton. And so in doing that, that's really the process I want to invite us into. I want you to begin thinking now of, of how you tell the truth of what you are encountering in the life of Kaleo. Like as you enter this space Sunday after Sunday or you gather with these people in other places outside of this, I want you to begin to process telling the truth of what you encounter. Because then I want our minds to align with the mind of Christ so that then we might move along the pathway of holistic transformation with Jesus. As opposed to maybe not telling the truth and not aligning our minds with the mind of Christ and just thinking we're going to form into something as we go. So that the sense I'm getting as, as I do my best, I suppose, to listen for the voice of God's spirit in regards to who Kaleo is and who Kaleo is becoming is that actually each one of us is trying to make sense of how to live the ways of Jesus in the world. And I think pastorally speaking, that's the way that Aaron and I can just give everyone the benefit of the doubt when we all gather together in whatever capacity that is, is that we are people genuinely searching for how to make sense of living the ways of Jesus in 2022 in Phoenix, Arizona. But even more challenging, I guess I sense than that, is that we are in the life of Kaleo continuously being confronted with a diverse set of experiences and questions that challenge us to enter into a new way of being in the world. It might be what we preach. It might be what we carry with us. It might be a conversation that we have. It might be a thing we're invited to when we gather together. And then depending on the day that any of us show up here, we show up into a place collectively together bearing our wounds and our burdens but we also come with like convictions and ideas and personalities of the way things should be. Not just like in a church setting, but in, in the world that we occupy. And depending on the day, some combination of us shows up wrestling these demons that encounter in the world around us. Experiences of church abuse in the past. Outright racism, subtle racism, misogyny, Idols of certainty that we've held on to, 
experiences where there's been silence in the face of injustice, the poison of consumerism, a commitment to individualism, our own pride. Like the list can go on and on and we all bring all of these things with us into the space together where we say, yeah, let's figure this out. And so maybe to say it even more succinctly, as a church family, we will disappoint each other. That will happen. Aaron and I, as your pastors, will disappoint you. We will disappoint each other. So how hard is it, right, to learn to be a church family of diverse people with diverse experiences, learning to heal together and create space to experience God's healing, to create space to practice the ways of Jesus as the multi-ethnic family of God requires an immense amount of humility and hospitality. And there's no way around that. That is what makes up the type of people I think that we all long to be together. And so Lent seems like the season in which we should strive collectively to listen to God's voice together, wander a bit with Jesus and open ourselves up afresh to the words that precede the wilderness that I already said, right? These words that come from the voice of love who speaks, you are my dearly loved children and you bring me great joy. These words are not just for Jesus. They're for each one of us. And they're said before we move, before we accomplish things, before we're known for anything. That's what leads Jesus into the wilderness. And I hope it's what leads us into the wilderness as well. So as we embark on a, a mutual journey together, a, a collision of all of our thoughts and experiences and expectations show up into a place over and over again, and they have throughout the life of Kalea. What I'm doing is I'm inviting us to, to ask, in light of anything in the life of Kaleo that we find challenging, uncomfortable, confronting, or unsettling, that we would ask God, God, what do you want me to know about this? I don't want you to think that Aaron and I have the only voice that you should listen to. The only reason we speak and cultivate and pastor and share all of these spaces with one another is so that we might all collectively hear the voice of God together. And if at any point along the way you are challenged or you are uncomfortable or you are confronted or you are unsettled, the invitation is to say, God, what do you want me to know about this? And then we listen. And if we as a people can commit to a practice such as that, I think we can in fact thrive in the midst of all of us trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in this world with all of our diverse sets of experiences, all the wounds and burdens that we bear with us. We can do that together. But that comes from this posture of humility and hospitality, not just towards one another, but towards God as well. And so I want to invite us then afresh, before I'm still going to get into a little bit of Genesis, I promise, to just sit in the presence of this God who is with us and who speaks our names and who calls us beloved. And I want to just allow us the opportunity to whatever 
you've encountered in your time in this place that might be challenging or confronting or uncomfortable or unsettling, just let it bubble to the surface. It might be just the fact that you never thought you were going to walk through the doors of a church again, and that's it. That's what you carry with you. It might be something we've said. It might be something someone else has said. It might be just a general feel. But let it bubble to the surface so that we might ask this God of love, God, what do you want me to know about this? So I'm just gonna give us a few, few moments to be still and to listen and to ask that question. And if maybe you've never asked a question like that before of God, uh, a practice that could be helpful is just, even if you can write something down, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question, I find often tends to be the voice of God as well. So you could just write quickly the things that come to mind. If you're like, this is weird, then just chill for a minute and then we'll talk about Genesis. All right, so here's the invitation to sit in the presence of God and ask whatever the thing is that bubbles up or the things that bubble up, God, what do you want me to know? about this. Maybe just take a deep breath. And ask God the question again. God, what do you want me to know about this? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, hear our prayers. Hear our desire to hear from you and grant us ears to hear what it is you have to say to us. May you continue to form in each of us a posture of hospitality and humility. Would we grow in the practice of telling the truth of what it is we're experiencing just the truth, the confession, if you will. May you align our minds with the mind of Christ and may you bring about a holistic transformation in our lives as we go with your son, Jesus. We love you in your name we pray, amen. So if we're gonna keep asking questions like that and listening to see what God might be saying to us, and it seems like the next movement seems to be to ask God now, well, what do you want us to do? Okay, God, what do you want me to know? Now, what do you want me to do? Right? That just seems to be the rhythms of listening and obeying God, if you will, or responding. And we'll conclude our time 
with that question, but I want to help us get there to the question of, God, what do you want us to do? And so to help us get there, let's reflect on this question. What do you think is the great human problem? Deep question. Just, you just, like, just let it stir. You don't have to shout these ones out. What do, you, like, what do you think is the great human problem? Biblically speaking, the first one was this. It is not good for the man to be alone. That would seem to say that even before the fall, the problem at hand was isolation, aloneness. Now, if I'm going to try to convince us of this being the great human problem, it runs up against this idea that I think much of us in our Western context have grown to believe that mortality is the greatest human problem. Death, right? Which is interesting to think about because it seems that at the outset of God's story, God is a God who chooses to be with us. It seems that at the core of who Jesus is is a God who wants to be with us. Yes, Jesus goes about work that saves us on the cross and restores us to new life as resurrected people. But it seems to me that the whole of God's mission in the world is to be a God who is with, to address this idea of isolation, but not just with God's self. Turns out we need one another. So with this problem in view and this idea that we would spend the season of Lent talking about women in the Bible, we begin at a really interesting place. We're starting to seek out what some might call theologically the, the view of mutuality or complementarity without hierarchy or a more commonly used phrase in the theological debate about the roles of women in the church and in the world, egalitarianism. I can't give you all of the theology today. That's why we spent time praying. But throughout the season of Lent, as we learn about different women of the Bible, we'll address these things as we go. Directly and indirectly, we'll be looking at the trajectory at the beginning of the story of scriptures to where we are now. What is it that women did? What did women do all along the way? And three questions will help us as we do that, we'll, we'll think of questions, these three, along each story, each woman that we meet, each moment like this, even in Genesis 1, where the woman's not even named right away. Does God allow women to lead both women and men? Does God allow women to teach authoritatively to both women and men? Does God want women and men leading together? Those are the questions at the forefront. And just to like free us up from trying to solve this, Obviously, the theology of Kaleo has already made a place, right? We have already ordained a woman. We already are co-leading together. You can see where our answers come from, right? This is how Aaron and I operate, is in the context of mutuality or complementarity without hierarchy or egalitarianism, whatever you want to say. 
So I'm not here, and I don't think this season of Lent exists to convince us of a theological position because we just live that out anyway. We're already there. But it's an often looked at theme, and I actually think it helps us identify what God was up to at the very beginning, trying to address this idea that it is not good to be alone. Okay, you're all at least semi-intrigued at this point, I think, all right? Okay. So we're going to begin with the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. Seems like a fitting place to begin, doesn't it? Right? Instead of maybe 2 Timothy, we're not going to start there, okay? We're going to start at the beginning. That's like a, sorry, that's an inside Bible joke. That's the passage that says women can't do things. Okay. We'll, We'll get there. But we're beginning... In Genesis 1 and 2, we're just going to look at verses 26 and 27 first. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Did you catch that? This is the NLT, by the way, but translation still stands. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So you need to know this. There's two creation stories that start the beginning of the Bible. This is the first one, and a quick recap of the first one. The first one seems awfully straightforward, right, is that we have this picture of a relational God, a God who's creating humanity in God's communal, interrelational image, right? United as one, diverse as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit are all present at creation, fashioning both men and women in the communal image, of God. This is the first creation story. The second is this, Genesis 2, 15 through 20 is what I'll read. It reads like this, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may free, freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So check out what's going on here. Everything was good until the first not good. Right? And it's an interesting first not good, isn't it? It's not good that the man, the Adam, that's where the word Adam comes from, right? Adam to be alone. It seems to me that the first problem addressed here is the one of isolation. And yet we're still in the pre-fall stage. So there's a couple words I want you to pay attention to because they're the words that get moved around a bit when we translate them. In verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It's a combination of two Hebrew words, azer, konegdo. Have you ever heard of those words? Azer, konegdo. They're 
They're really fun to say, just back to back like that too, right? Azer is the word helper. Essentially, that's how they translate that. Connecto is this idea of like right for him or suitable. It's where you typically would hear the word suitable helper or helper suitable for him. The azer connecto. Therefore, the woman who is created in this moment is the azer connecto. Tracking so far? Okay, you guys all know Hebrew now. About as much as I do. Uh, so here's what's interesting, though. The word azer that gets translated helper, or in some older translations, or I think maybe even the ESV as well, like helpmate, right? Or like help meet, even. Is that the King James maybe, right? So th- this, this word, though, most scholars that I'll trust, which there's a lot of those, will agree that, that this is what azer means. Help! It means help! Like all caps with an exclamation point. Like the kind of help you yell when you need actual help, right? Like you walked outside and there was something happening the moment you walked out on the street and you would yell, help! You need an azer to come to your rescue. It's often used as a battle term, in fact. In fact, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it gets used, the word azer gets used when calling on God to come and help God's people. They call for their azer. They say, help. Okay. So Adam, or the Adam, needs a help because there's an enemy, and there always has been, the powers and principalities at play, and Adam cannot accomplish this work alone. He needs azer, help. The second part of this then becomes also interesting. The word connecto, which again is often translated as suitable or right. This is how it read in the NLT, just so you can hear it one more time. I will make a helper, an azer, who is just right for him, connecto, okay? So the the word in fact, though, means a little bit more than that. The word as it is says that, One, this man needed an equal, a power equal to him, if you will. And the image of the connecto next to him, the suitable or right helper, is actually this idea of being face-to-face, being seen one another to equals. That's where the idea of mutuality or complementary without hierarchy exists. There's a face-to-face equality happening in this word. So unlike the animals who cannot provide what Adam needs, he needs an azer connecto, a power equal to him, if you will, which is honestly a more accurate translation. So the woman who is created, she is azer connecto, often thought of as the suitable helper, but maybe we could begin to see that is a bit more robust term. There's still much conflict over how it's translated in English to this day. So if you are interested in any of those articles, let me know. Okay, it kind of moves on like this. Genesis 2, 21 through 24 now. Now these are the next set of verses. The reminder is right, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. 
Now they are connecto, face to face. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. Right? His, his initial reaction to the creation of this woman is to recite the first poem that anyone had written, right? At last, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Here's what's interesting. This word here, man, is not Adam. It's not Adam. It's not from the dust because the opposite of Adam would be like earth. Like that's why they're called earthlings or mankind is how it gets translated. That's why I prefer human beings because earthlings sound strange, right? <laughs> so, so here we have then this new name he gives her. He says, this is Isha and I am Ish. That's, that's the words now being used, right? Because they're opposites, but they're equals in this moment. So he writes a poem, and then he says, new names for us, I am Ish and you are Isha. This is where then ultimately we get Adam and Eve roll out from this, which again is probably not the best translation for the names, but hey, now they have names, okay? Then they are united to one another. And this is interesting because united doesn't quite mean united in the sense that we think of it, which again is probably because we live in a country with that word in it, and so we think of it in a lot of different ways. It would be more like the clinging to one another because they need help. The, the same way we cling to God when we need God's help is the way in which man and woman are clinging together now to become united and one. They are faced as equals. His help has come. There is now a power equal to him, and they will share in mutuality the reign over all the earth, which is what we got in the first creation story. Also, it's interesting if you've ever been to a Jewish wedding. That's why the woman moves around the man, because she is protecting him as his azer. Right? So there's like this whole ceremony around that, which is very foreign to me personally, maybe not to you, but there's another ongoing trajectory of this language. So we get to this place now at the end of Genesis 1 and 2, and this is where I'm going to leave us because we've got a whole season to wander in the wilderness and try to figure this out. Right? What's about to happen is the fall as we know it, right? Eve will eat of the fruit that you just read here with us, right, that Adam was told not to eat from because surely you will die, and then Adam eats the fruit as well, and then they both die, right? And then they are cursed, and there is now a new reality in the world that God says this is what will happen. Women will have this desire, men will have this desire, and this is how you will be saved, right? So the tension here without trying to get all of Genesis 3 out of the way for us today, is that are we trying to live the pre-fall goodness creation that God set before us, where we operate in the harmony of the shalom that God has set before us? Or do we give in to what post-fall world has taught us to be, which is honestly a patriarchal world that exists over time in its own ways and we learn to exist in it. Our argument would be 
that we are actually going to the original goodness creation and saying men and women move together, complementary, without hierarchy, equal in power, mutual together. Because then you will find, as we go on in our time together and we highlight different women throughout the Bible, we'll keep asking this question, what is it then that women did all along the way? And this will help us answer a question when we get to two passages in particular that most people derive their stance from in terms of what women can or cannot do in the church, both in 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy. So that means you just got to keep coming back and listening in and trying to take in the stories. The whole of Lent is not going to be some attempt to convince us of a theological perspective because like I already told you, we already have one and we live out of it. It already exists here in the way in which we lead and serve. We have women on our board, co-lead together, all of that, right? But this is to help us understand that there is, in fact, a human problem. And the problem is that we tend to isolate ourselves. And this picture of the creation narratives, the two that we begin with, shows us that the diversity is celebrated and needed to help each of us live into the image of God that is stamped on us. It's as if we see ourselves in the truest sense trying to root ourselves back into who God says we really are. We see that more clearly when we move together and empower each other in mutuality. And so in light of all of that, which is one begun with a prayer practice, right? And two, some theological dissection of Genesis 1 and 2. They all move together to say, in this season of Lent, God, what do you want us to do? Because you already brought forth, God, what do you want me to know about whatever it was you brought into the space? Now you might have a new thing you gotta bring up in which you are uncomfortable with or challenged by or unsettled by. God, what do you want me to know? Because we can exist together with some differences, but sometimes we can't. That's the tension of all of what we're up to, to be quite honest. And seeing that be true of Jesus' time as well, which we'll talk about how Jesus interacts with women on one of these Sundays as well. So here's what I want to do. I want you to just see that from the outset, God sets forth the goodness of a mutuality of a dependence on one another, of a need for one another, of a desire to rescue us from our tendency to be isolated humans. Because it was not enough to be alone. This does not solely mean that you need a life partner that you marry and follow all of the days of your life. It means that as the whole of God's people, we need one another. That's like the ultimate image of the goodness. And when we represent the diversity of everyone gathered in one space, and we say, oh, this helps me understand the truth of who God says I am and how to live that out in the world. Thus we ask, God, what do you want us to do? So I want to set that up for us. Band, you all can come forward. And I want now, in light of what you thought of before to refocus yourself again into the presence of God. Let your mind slow down all the information or thoughts. 
hand raising, questions you might carry with you that we're not answering at the moment. And settle in to God's loving presence. And if you have to say again, God, what do you want me to know about this? Ask him that question. And then say, God, what do you want us to do? Spirit, would we continue to trust that you are a God who desires to speak to us? I pray that we would not be afraid of being uncomfortable or unsettled or challenged. I pray that we would, in fact, fast from theological certainty and embrace a curious theological imagination this season. But as we do that, God, would it not just be to ask any old question or to exist without any old conviction? Would you, in this season of Lent, stir in each one of us a desire to participate with whatever part of ourselves we can bring to the table. In practicing your ways, Jesus, in being formed into the multi-ethnic family of God, would we be people who embrace the differences of one another, but not just a bunch of differences that are equal, God, sometimes it is required of us to live with humility and hospitality so that another might heal in your presence. Would we be attentive to that work and would that occur in the life of Kaleo? Jesus, show us the way as we join you in the wilderness. Mold our minds to the mind of Jesus as we tell the truth of what we're experiencing. And God, as only you can do through the power of your spirit present in us, 
transform our lives. Cast aside anything that is keeping us from following you. Free us, liberate us with your love, grant us grace. Toss aside the shame that we heap upon ourselves and let us move forth together, confined in your loving embrace, moving together, needing one another. resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.